I am hosting a retreat in Tulum, Mexico, in paradise this October called Bloom in Tulum. It's a five-day, all-inclusive, personal and professional growth retreat for ambitious, big-hearted women who are ready to step into their power with grace, support, and confidence. So my two biz besties and I dreamed up this magical retreat over sushi a few months back, and after lots of planning, it's actually happening. We have mapped out a thoughtful itinerary with lots of downtime to make the most of this beautiful paradise beachside location and also set you up for a powerful and memorable experience of growth. There's only 20 spots available and all three of us are promoting it to our full community. So that's like over 50,000 people. So I imagine the spots will fill very quickly. If you are interested in joining us in Bloom and Tulum, go to bloomintulum.com for all the details and to complete your application. Also know that early bird pricing ends on June 30th. So it's a really good time to secure your spot and save some money. I mean, honestly, like how fun would it be to hang out in person at a gorgeous, luxurious, all-inclusive in October? So head to Bloom in Tulum. That's B-L-O-O-M in Tulum. T-U-L-U-M. Bloomintulum.com for all the details and complete your application. These children have their special gifts. These children are going to be future leaders. When we are the conduit to their learning, to their understanding, to their growth, to their development, we are part of this magic. You're listening to the Mindful Mama podcast, episode number 306. Today we're talking about special needs and self-regulation for kids with Ashley Becker-Nunley. Welcome to the Mindful Mama podcast. Here, it's about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent. At Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have, and when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm your host, Hunter Clark Fields. I help smart, thoughtful parents stay calm so they can have strong, connected relationships with their children. I've been practicing mindfulness for over 20 years. I'm the creator of Mindful Parenting, and I'm the author of the best-selling book, Raising Good Humans, a mindful guide to breaking the cycle of reactive parenting and raising kind, confidence kids. Welcome back to the Mindful Mama podcast. I'm glad you're here. I know I say that every time, but I really do mean it. I'm glad to be connecting with you. This is a really important topic we're going to be discussing today. I'm going to be talking to Ashley Becker Nunley. She's a parent coach. She's an occupational therapist. And we're going to be talking about how to set your child up for success in this time. So I don't know about you, but my kids are back in school. And for a lot of us, our kids are back in school, but it's not easy. It's not the same. Like my kids had this crazy year and one of my daughters struggled. It was hard. And now we're going back and there's a lot of adjustment, a lot of transitions. There's a lot of challenges and kids may have sensitivities. They may have special needs. How do we do things like, you know, in this new landscape, like find balance and setting limits with screen time? How do we help kids stop procrastinating on completing their homework or studying? How do we connect if our kids get angry and aggressive about some of these issues? You know, some kids have fallen back into the rhythm of things, but a lot of kids seem to be struggling. So it may be bringing to light learning or social challenges that they're struggling with. So we are going to be putting on our detective lens and looking into special needs and tapping into your kids 
Ed's learning style in this episode. I can't wait for you to dive into it. Before we dive in, I just want to check in to see if you've gotten your copy of Raising Good Humans, my book, A Mindful Guide to Breaking the Cycle of Reactive Parenting, Raising Kind, Confident Kids. It's an audiobook form, it's in Kindle form, it's on paperback, and it has over 1,300 reviews on Amazon. People are loving it. It's done incredibly well over the summer, and I'm just wondering if you got your copy. You know, you're a listener to this podcast. Did you get your copy yet? It's a little weird if you listen to audiobook because it's not me reading it. I would encourage you to listen anyway. You'll get used to that other voice. It'll be fine. But anyway, get your copy of Raising Good Humans. It's been a parenting bestseller and it supports, of course, everything we talk about here on the podcast. So that's my plug. Before we dive in, get your copy of the book. Enough chit chat, enough hey, how you doing? Let's dive in with this conversation. Join me at the table as I talk to Ashley Becker Nunley. Thanks for coming on the Mindful Mama podcast, Ashley. Hi, Hunter. Thanks for having me here. <laughs> I'm looking forward to talking to you. And I, I know I get a lot of requests on like how to help kids with differences, like special needs and, you know, all, all kinds of differences, you know, we, and we have those, those parents and the membership and stuff, but um, I'm, I want to, before we dive into all of that, I want to dive into your story because I, I, I'm curious about, I know that you teach uh, um, a parent, you know, parenting style very similar to mindful parenting that's non-punitive, that's connection-based. And I'm just curious if that was, was, did that come naturally to you or did you have to fight against some seeds that weren't so uh, helpful in that realm? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, usually we do the work that we have experienced ourselves and that process of evolving, becoming who we want to be, right? And so when I was raised, I was raised in a very punitive household. I'm an 80s kid. We, um, you know, my parents set boundaries and they disciplined us if we went beyond those boundaries. And emotions, uh, they were not really felt. It was not okay to get upset. So they would Mm -hmm. use phrases like just knock it off or, you know, cut it out. And so it didn't really help, you know, melt. It didn't help learn that process of emotional regulation and understanding big emotions and how to handle those big emotions. So I had to learn that along the way. And so that's the evolution of why I do what I do so that people can feel those feelings and go through those feelings, because that's the fastest ways for us to be able to then get to a place of regulation, being able to feel those thoughts. Um, You know, my parents, they were busy. They both had two different jobs and I was home. I raised myself for the most part for many years as a latchkey child. Oh, me too. Totally. In the eighties. Yeah. I remember watching like three's company after school all the time. (laughs) After school special. Did you watch that one? Oh yeah, I did watch that. Yeah. And so I just took care of myself and it was very hands-off parenting, but yet if I was out of line, then I would hear it, you know, hell and high water. They would let it be known that I was out of bounds and, you know, they would just send me to my room and that was the form of discipline that we wouldn't talk about it afterward. It was just, you know, knock it off, go to your room. 
That sounds that so very... familiar. Like that's right? like you're kind of describing. Like, oh yes. <laughs> kind of, <laughs> I mean, yeah. There was there was some some escalation beyond just go to your room in my family, but uh, but yeah, like a lot of knock it off, go to your room. A lot of go to your room. I remember go to go to your room has got to be like the most used phrase. But so, how did you learn? You know, you said you had to teach yourself how to regulate your emotions. How did you how did you do that? Uh, first, it started with me before my son. It was my exploration and yoga and mindfulness and meditation. And that was I was this geeky kid hanging out in the library during lunchtime in high school. And I would just to page turns of these uh, holistic health magazines and, and books on healthy living and natural living. And so I started that research wanting to learn more of how mindset works, how we can shape our thoughts and beliefs and how it can create our actions. And in that practice of mindfulness that I started, this is gosh, almost 30 years ago, it has evolved into a practice that has really shaped the way that um, experiences come up in terms of difficult experiences, hard emotions, you know, when my son's having a meltdown, being able to handle that mindfully. And so it really started at that time. And it took me on this path where I was a student of Vipassana and I taught yoga. And so just constantly, you know, taking in, digesting that information was a passion of mine which I wanted to teach kids. And so before I had my son, I was working with students, with kids in the field of education. And I noticed that when kids were having a hard time, that they just needed guidance on how to get through those hard emotions. And so that's where I thought the practice of mindfulness would be really beneficial for these kids, especially kids in schools, where traditionally, um, you know, the approach in the education sector has a, uh, an approach where uh, you'd get sent to the principal's office or, or ignored, but it was never really talked about. And so I think now in today's society, modern culture, we are allowed to feel emotions more in the schools and we're exploring more of that emotional regulation, which is fantastic. All right. So you, you started, you started your, you started med you started meditation practice and Vipassana for the listener is our watcher. We're on YouTube too now guys, uh, is, uh, <laughs> it, Vipassana is basically mindfulness meditation. It's kind of one of the first words that was used for a basic mindfulness meditation where you're, you're, um, Vipassana meditation is you're, you're sitting down and you're following the breath you know, you're following the breath in and out or whatever anchor, um, serves you most in that moment. Um, so you, you've had a, a meditation practice then for a long time, I bet. I have yes. Since my early twenties. So it's been almost 30 years. Now, when your son was little, you'd been meditating for a little while, a lot longer than I had when my daughter was little, probably I'm a little jealous. Um, so, so were you, when, when the, uh, the, the, uh, the, the transition from infant to uh, toddler where they're talking back to you and, 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 and all of those things, when all of those things happened, were you like ready and prepared or were you, was it like the, the, like, you know, train wreck that it is for most of us. <laughs> I don't know. Listeners Maybe can see not. my face, but right now I'm just, <laughs> I'm laughing so hard. <laughs> not at all. So <laughs> I thought that I'd be set up 
and the start of parenting. I had these grand plans that all would be easy and well because I was this, you know, meditating mom and someone who practiced yoga and just, you know, with that OT background, I got it. All's good. I got it. But it was such a eye opener when learning the ways to connect when times when it just felt like I wanted to flee. It's the whole flight, fright, or freeze mode. And mm-hmm. I was in it. Mm-hmm. And so I definitely used those skills and I tapped into those skills of grounding me and being present in motherhood, especially those earlier years. Right. And my son was colicky. He Oh gosh, for the first six months, he, we, (laughs) I needed to sit on a Swiss ball and constantly bounce to get him to calm down. (laughs) So I was always on the Swiss ball and it was That's like a big exercise ball. I'm thinking. Yes. Yeah. The large exercise ball lingo difference between the East and West coast here. (laughs) (laughs) And so we would sit on that ball for hours on end. And I would just be bouncing him. And that was the only time he wouldn't cry. And it was exhausting. I know, right? It was so challenging, so exhausting. And so, of course, I had concerns being not only a mother, but an OT. And I was thinking these thoughts that were so unhelpful, just like, oh, what if this is how it is? What if it's always going to be this hard? Mm -hmm. And I started doubting my own Um, abilities and parenthood and being a mother and thought, well, I was so confident coming in right at the start, but it really questioned my confidence. And so I really, Hunter, I had to dive deep into that mindfulness practice, which was hard because I was tired. I was um, working part-time and um, I was not taking care of myself. So self-care was also missing. And that all fed into the challenges with early parenthood and just learning how to navigate those, those waters at that time with my, my young son experiencing colic. Yeah, I can imagine, you know, when we talk, when I talk about that, that stress response, right? Like in our yelling, and I really do think like, I mean, I truly believe in mindfulness as a huge helper in like building that muscle of non-reactivity, but it's not gonna work at all. Like if you're not getting enough sleep, if you're not like getting some fresh air and exercise, connecting, you know, all of those like super essential self-care pieces, it's gonna be useless if you're not doing any of those things. So um, yeah, so that that's like, can lead us to like that reactive place really, really quickly. Right. We forget to fulfill those basic needs like Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Are we getting enough rest? Are we eating well? You know, are we taking care of our bodies, getting fresh air and exercise? And that's, it's hard to fulfill those requirements early on in um, infancy. And so when we neglect that, we start to see that cascade effect where it impacts your relationship, your ability to connect, and also just, again, how it impacts your own health and, and wellness. And so it's, those basic needs are so important, but yet it's extremely challenging because we do tend to be sleep deprived and not taking care of ourselves. Yeah. Yes. I, I know. I, I really, you know, you know how, um, I, I talk to, I talk to people who teach mindfulness to kids in schools and they're always like, oh, you teach mindful parenting. Like that's like the precursor to what we teach in schools and all the parents should have that. So the kids can have that. And I'm like, yes, yes, yes. But then I think of like, like my own version of that is like, 
oh, you know, that fourth trimester time, you know, that time at like, that's when parents need like this, all this support. And there's just so little, especially in US culture, there's so, so little support. It's like you have the baby and then they've forgotten about you and it's all about the child. And, and it's, you know, we're just, we're just so left on our own, like these like little satellites that are just off in the wilderness. And that's just not, a healthy environment for raising good humans. Right. Yes. <laughs> Having that support network network is key. And it's like after you leave a hospital or after you're done birthing at home or wherever, we should all be given this manual on how to parent mindfully and how to raise and support that relationship. We are sponsored by Midi Health. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, vaginal dryness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. All of these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around perimenopause and menopause, and the experts at Midi Health understand what you're experiencing and how to help. Midi clinicians are menopause experts dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions. Midi care is covered by insurance, and with Midi Health, you can stop pushing through it all alone. Schedule a virtual visit to discuss your symptoms and health background in depth. You'll come out of the experience feeling heard and with a plan to start feeling better. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Joinmidi.com. We are supported by Melon Headwear. These hats are perfect for Father's Day. They are built to be in and around water. They last five times longer than any other hat. They're naturally antimicrobial properties. It doesn't, sweat doesn't break down the hat. No sweat stains, no smell ever. It's built for the water. We tested it tubing on the Brandywine River and it was fabulous. It even floats when it drops in the water. It doesn't lose shape. It is amazing. An incredible, comfortable fit. Use code MINDFUL at checkout for 30% off your order. If you're trying to figure out a Father's Day gift, honestly, trust me, this is exactly what they want. Go to melon.com, that's M-E-L-I-N.com, and use the code MINDFUL at checkout for 30% off. Melon rarely offers discounts, so don't miss this opportunity. It is, I swear, the perfect Father's Day gift. Premium headwear, melon.com. Use the code mindful for 30% off. So talk to us. You were an OT for many years, which is an occupational therapist for those who don't know the the OT lingo. Um, And you've worked with a lot of kids with special needs. Can you give us kind of like the, um, you know, the overview of, of what, what are some of the special needs out there that, that parents may need to like be aware of could be a possibility if they have a kid who's struggling. Like what are some of the, give us like the overview a little bit. Can you right. do that? Yeah, this yeah. is a, this is a big question right now, especially during the pandemic. We're seeing a lot of um, lagging skills and kids regressing in their skills. So I specialize in working with kids with behaviors. And so um, I get to help kids that have anxiety, depression, may struggle with emotional regulation, anger management, um, kids that um, are struggling with sensory 
differences, kids that are struggling with learning differences um, on the autism spectrum. And so essentially my job as an occupational therapist, I help children be as independent as possible. So I get to look at the whole child, the whole child emotionally, cognitively, academically, physically, um, you know, looking at the whole child to ensure that the way that they can feel successful, the way that they can be and act successfully in school is that we do look at the whole child. So I get to play detective. And so when I see a student that's having a, a hard time in school, then I get to put on my detective lens and I look to see, okay, is it environment? Is it perhaps the room is too bright with those awful halogen lights? Is it that the posters, it, you can't even see the, um, the paint on the walls because oh, wow. it's just covered with <laughs> posters. Is it that there is too much, uh, too many rugs? I went into this one kindergarten classroom once. We had a whole overhaul in terms of setting up the environment, but she had all these ABC and number mats and the whole carpet was just filled with rugs. Not only is that a tripping hazard, but also you just see all this visual information, which is very distracting. And so you wonder, why is it that my, my student can't sit and attend? Why is it that my student is looking elsewhere and not on me when I'm speaking? Well, they're probably fascinated by, you know, the hundreds of posters on the walls. <laughs> and you think about the smells, you think about um, the textures of handling glue and tape and so when a child is having a challenge, going in to play that detective role, I get to see, okay, what is going on? What is impacting this child's learning? Where are they struggling? What time of day are they struggling? With what subject are they struggling with? And what does that look like? And then I also wanna get an idea from the child's point of view. How's it going for you? You know, what, what would you like to be better at? Where are you struggling? And then, you know, making it developmentally appropriate. So for the younger ones, it will be through play because that's a child's main occupation is play. And in order for us to really connect with a child and understand where they're at, we use play. That's the avenue to really get to the child. And so, and this is what I get to do all day in my job. I get to play. I love it. It's the best. <laughs> that's why I went into this work. So when we work with the children and we see where those lagging skills are, we work to then repair. And so having a conversation with the parents, making sure that they're on board, because you also have to consider, well, what's happening at home, right? Are they being successful or they're working toward that success in the school environment? They may meet their goals. They may finally get those accommodations where they're able to succeed in that previous struggle only to go home and then resume unhealthy habits or unhealthy patterns. So then when they come back, especially after summer break, especially after longer breaks, we see such regression. And these are the kids that I tend to work with, kids that are in um, homes that are unpredictable, homes that are um, can be traumatic even, kids that aren't getting those basic needs met, you know, lack of proper nutrition, um, having access to clothing, to a warm, um, you know, apartment or a home. So these basic needs may not be met. And so when you see the kids, sadly, you know, it's like, you're kind of working against a lot of factors here. We try to encourage healthy meals. And so we yet see a, a lunchbox of, um, I, you know, I have kids that come to school with a cupcake, um, uh, 
um, like some sort of bright color drink. I don't know if it's Kool-Aid and then a dessert. And you think the cupcake would already be the dessert, but that's part of the whole meal with pizza. It's just, that's what kids are eating. And so of course they're, they're really struggling with learning and retention of skills. And of course they're struggling sitting still. And of course they're struggling with emotional regulation. And so having a conversation with the parents, it really starts with that education. So getting the idea of how the family is doing and where they need support. It's a whole, like back to the Hillary Clinton, it takes a village. So I'm, I'm kind of thinking about the, the listener and the idea, like, so taking what you said there, like if our, if, if your child is like having difficulty learning is like having behavior issues is having all these things. Like we want to, we want to do like what Ashley's saying, like be a detective, be, you know, it's building that awareness, right? Like when is it, when is it happening? What time of day is it happening? What are the needs that are happening in that moment? Like basic needs you're saying like sleep, food, blood sugar, all those things. Like we want to look at those things first. So I'm trying to think about like kind of ex- how you take this, this these ideas of kids with special needs like in the classroom and then how do you extrapolate that to the home? Is that is that where you'd start with? Like, let's say like, you know, looking at just the basics first and then building up from there. Right, and we don't wanna overwhelm the parents. So oftentimes these parents are already overwhelmed. And so we really wanna start simple. And letting them know, so first of all, communication is key. So you start having conversations, you learn what is the best way to reach them. A lot of times these families don't have Wi-Fi, they don't have access to technology. I even have students that um, they don't have a telephone line. And so it's, it's really challenging to get a hold of these parents often. But yet when they, if you keep trying, if you're persistent, they will eventually feel supported and they'll reach out and say, yes, I need help. And so at that time, that is the start of the conversation. Great, I'm here to help you. This is how so-and-so is doing. This is how your child is doing in school. This is what we're seeing. They may be, you know, your child is doing well in the classroom, but yet when your child goes to music, your child is screaming, covering his ears, and just really having a hard time sitting still during music time. So this is what I've seen, and this is what I'm doing, and this is what you can do. And I encourage you, you know, to try these out and let me know how it goes. I don't want to overwhelm the parents, but certainly if they're on board and they feel supported, we're going to see that child succeed. And that's what we ultimately want is that child to succeed. So let's imagine, I imagine the, usually the listener to this podcast is, is um, engaged, right? You're, li- you're listening <laughs> to a Mindful Mama podcast, like you're interested and engaged in this stuff. Say what a parent who, you know, could be a listener here who is seeing like regression in their child, seeing behavior problems. What would that type of parent, what, where, what might be their first steps? Hello, you sentient ball of stardust. My name is Casey Davis. I'm a therapist and I'm an author of the book, How to Keep House While Drowning, where I talk about ways to make it a little bit easier to take care of yourself when you're overwhelmed, stressed, have mental health issues, physical health issues, or maybe you're just in a hard season of life. Maybe you're looking for a place that you can come and listen to some practical advice. This is a podcast for all of the self-help rejects. We're going to talk about skills for survival and self-kindness, and I'm going to leave the pop psychology at the door. I promise not to tell you to meditate or to journal, 
We're just going to give you some really insightful conversations with hopefully some practical advice. So I don't believe you need to pick yourself up by the bootstraps. I don't want you to just try harder, and I don't believe that laziness exists. So join me over on Struggle Care, where we can find compassionate solutions that help us function a little bit better. I'm Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. (laughs) Well, you're Amy more of a we were supposed to leave 35 seconds ago, mom. I mean, touche. In each episode of What Fresh Hell, we come at a topic from our usually completely opposite perspectives. I bring the research. And I bring kind of the gimlet eye. Like, is that research really going to work, people? And almost 10 million downloads later, we're still laughing. We also talk to experts in the parenting field, plus parents with stories we can all learn from. We make each other laugh, we challenge each other's assumptions, and we have what we think is the best parenting community on the internet. Check out What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood wherever you listen to podcasts. Um, I would first encourage them to have regular communication and find out what is the best way for that. But having that maybe weekly emails just to touch base and see how it's going. I don't like with a teacher you're saying, like what if they're just seeing this at home, the, this parent, you know, a parent's at home, they got a child work, you know, remote learning at home and they're seeing like maybe regression behaviors, behavior issue, behavior, behavior issues and things like that at home. What would that kind of parent start? Where would they start? Totally. With? Okay, great. Good. So we're going to now hop on to the parent coach in me. So I'm going to put my parent coach hat. I saw a gap. And again, I already addressed this early on that the parents were struggling, but yet the child would reach their goals in the school. So with that gap, that's why I wanted to become a parent coach because these kiddos are returning home to an environment that may not support their needs. And so working with the parents to help them understand the needs behind their child's behaviors. I love Ross Green's work. He was saying, um, he says in his work, Dr. Ross Green, um, is that your child is not trying to be a problem. They're just having a problem. Oh, I love that. Your child is not trying to be a problem. They're having a problem. They're just having a problem. And so this is our opportunity to find out what that problem is. And so getting close, getting curious, being um, very uh, objective about it. Okay. Don't take it personally, right? That's always key. Don't take it personally, but making sure that the parents have the tools and support. And so in the parent coaching um, program, we work on mindset and part of that mindset is learning how to look at your child and, and see that they are just having a, a problem and understanding that with practice of approaching um, the, the challenge or the difficult behavior, you know, without taking it personally, very objectively and <clears throat> teaching the parent to play that detective role so that they can understand what the needs are and then work to prevent them and with support with um, guidance and just, you know, the steps to be able to, um, to practice this, 
in the moment when the child is regulated rather than in the moment when they're dysregulated and throwing a temper tantrum and having a meltdown in the store. It's like, that's not the time to stop and, and practice, you know, parenting. That's the time where you just, you're there with your child to support them until they've moved through that emotion. Yeah, absolutely. I can agree with you there more. Yeah. Let's get get curious, right? Let's like kindness and curiosity in those, in those moments and, and kind of step back, see that perspective. That's beautiful. You talk about, um, how to connect with your child who's angry and aggressive. So if we're seeing anger, we're seeing aggression, how do we connect with our kids then? Oh, it's, it's so challenging. I mean, I can relate to this. I'm sure most parents can relate to this. It's so hard to keep that loving connection when you are so mad at your child, when you're so frustrated and you're thinking in your mind, oh my gosh, how many times do I have to remind my child to put their shoes away? How many times do I have to remind, remind my child to hang up their coat? We go through these steps and it's like, we're just repeating a broken record, just always saying the same thing again and again and again. And, you know, some kids are able to pick up directions and follow through faster than others. Um, I have a lovely son who needs extra reminders. And so, yes, I've been challenged. And so this, again, is the reason why I do this work, because I've learned strategies that have helped me to remain present, to remain um, objective and not to take things personally. And so when we remain open, and practice radical empathy. And that means just stopping, taking some deep breaths, notice, okay, I'm really mad right now. And that's okay. That is okay to feel that. And being able to first take care of yourself, being able to um, drop whatever it is that you're trying to do or force your child to do or make your child do, just drop that and then just remain present with yourself first because when you're regulated, then you can help and guide your child to be regulated. And that's how they learn most is by watching us. And so when I get to a place of regulation, then I'm modeling that, that radical empathy to my child. And so that way, when you just are remaining calm and you're with your child and you can just simply say, I see you're having a hard time. That's okay. I'll, I'm here for you. I'm not going anywhere. And so when you remain present and they're extremely angry and they're acting out, of course you want to flee. That's the time when we're just experiencing those really ugly, awful emotions. But when we practice radical empathy, we're allowing ourselves to let go of expectations and to just remain present with our child without this need to correct in the moment without this need to fix things, we're just there. And that's it. You don't have to say a whole lot, just be there and, and keep your body in a calm state because in that process, your child is learning. And so they're actually getting um, that information from you, that feedback through your body language. And that is huge. That's a huge way for your child to learn self-regulation. Because oftentimes when our child is having a hard time, it's because they're dysregulated. Maybe they spent too much time in front of the screens, maybe um, too many bags of Skittles, maybe uh, too many cartoons, or maybe they something happened at school that we don't know of yet. So just getting curious and finding out, well, what led to this in the first place? But when we remain calm and remain connected, this will allow your child to feel cared for, supported for, and loved. So 
I, I love everything you're saying. And I agree, like, we, this is what we teach. Um, but I, I can hear the listener, like the uh, objection kind of coming to mind, like, well, okay, so I've asked my child to do something, put on their shoes three different times. And there I'm getting like, you know, anger and aggression and all that at me. And, and Ashley, you're saying drop the command, but what about putting on the shoes? Like that is my child going to learn that they can get angry and aggressive and then not have to do the things that I asked them to do. So what would you say to that objection that parents would bring? Right. Well, first of all, we understand that punishment doesn't work. So not saying, you know, go to your room or (laughs) punishment of, um, you know, just giving these commands that doesn't work. And so what we do know is that when we, again, practice with empathy, self-compassion and allowing ourselves to get into a state where our minds um, are regulated, we can think clearly. We can't think clearly when we're in, in fight, flight or freeze mode. You know, we're no longer in the um, the thinking brain. And so we're in the brain where it's like, you want to run out of there and it's hard. And I get it. It's so uncomfortable. The thing is though, is that when we do practice the skill of radical empathy and breathing through it and remaining present, we can think clearly and we can also see more objectively. And then when we are in that state, we're not trying to control because one of the reasons why we get so angry is because we want to control. And this is inherent. This is the human brain. We desire control. And we feel out of control when our child doesn't put their shoes away, when our child doesn't listen to us. And we have to keep repeating. And this is a trigger for parents. It's a trigger for anyone because there is this need to feel in control. And when things don't go our way, which is all the time in parenthood, (laughs) then we feel out of control. So how do we handle that? How do we want to respond to that? Do we want to continue to go down that path of yelling or shaming or punishing, which we know doesn't work because it keeps happening. We see the evidence it's not working it causes, because it keeps happening. Yeah, it causes ultimately it causes resentment and resistance in the long run because yeah, there's no connection there. There's no you're you're just causing like more and more resistance. They're making you're making your child more and more resistant to what you say. So but then back to that parent, like, well, what about the shoes? Like, I I, I, I gotta be able to get my kids' shoes on, you know. I would ask guiding reflective questions. I see your shoes are still on the floor. Mm-hmm. And then wait, what will your child say? You know, and even the way that you are standing, your body language says a lot. Mm-hmm. So again, radical empathy, taking care of yourself, making sure you're regulated. If you have tight fists, if you're showing an angry face, they're just going to be also on edge and also reactive because you are reactive. So that's why it's so important to breathe first, find a place of regulation, because that is step one, self-regulation. And that way, when you are talking with your child and just letting them reflect on the experience by asking them questions, it can be objective and it's not as emotional. It doesn't have to be, I see your shoes are on the floor. And that will help guide them in that conversation. They're going to respond because I, um, because I put them there, 
Yes, I see your shoes. Where do they belong? Um, I, um, I right here. Hmm. I don't see my shoes here. I put my shoes in the basket. Oh, okay, fine. Or, you know, all right. And then they'll just huff off or, and take their shoes. But asking those reflective questions will help them understand and think a little bit more about that. Like, how is this impacting the home? I don't want to trip and fall on them. So giving them that feedback, when I walk in the door, I don't want to trip and fall on shoes. I'd rather walk into the home and have a clean space. They understand that it's impacting others when we have that conversation, when everyone is regulated and everyone is calm, that's when you can have a deeper conversation. Like, I don't want to walk in the home and trip on shoes. I don't want to fall down. I prefer having a clean home. We put our shoes in the basket. And this will also let your child see the reason behind that, why we put our shoes away and, and have deeper compassion knowing, well, you're right. I don't want mom to fall down. Um, I want to be able to walk in the house and, and have it, you know, semi-clean, but just having them posing those reflective questions, it allows them to problem solve. And we want to teach that that's a lifelong skill. We want to teach problem solving, critical thinking, because that is what helps build responsible, resilient people. Yay. I, I love all this. Like, let's, let's get them involved with this rather than just resisting us and, and, and feeling so frustrated with us. So now kids with special needs, kids with like sensory processing disorder, if we're a parent of those child, is, is this different? Does this all look radically different from what you just described? Yeah. Great question. So it depends um, for kiddos that may have learning differences you want to tap into their learning style. So making sure that you understand, are they visual learners? Are they auditory learners? What are their strengths? Are they um, kinesthetic learners? So when we tap into their mode of learning, then we can get more in their world and they'll be able to follow directions better because simply it could just be the fact that they're not doing their work is because they don't understand. And so when we provide those accommodations and modifications for kids with special needs, then we are helping them understand and comprehend what is asked of them, what the expectation is. So we're creating that boundary, but we're supporting them and understanding that boundary. And so for example, let's say a kiddo on the autism spectrum comes home and you know throw the, throws the shoes down on the rug, right there, right in the middle of the house by the doorway. And what you can do is oftentimes kiddos on the autism spectrum do best with pictures, visuals. And so you would also simplify the language. Very simply stay, say, first shoes and basket, then reading time. And so you, it's almost like a command, but you want to break it down into a language that's short, succinct, few words, but it's just getting to the point. And you can use pictures, you know, a mm. picture of shoes in a basket, shoes and mm. basket, Mm, okay. All right. So you're kind of describing like, like what is understanding? What is your child's language? What is the best way to get through to them? And, and what you're describing, which is really beautiful is teaching, right? Like that's really ultimately what we're doing as our kids grow older. We're, we're teaching them how to regulate their emotions by modeling us. We're teaching them how to 
you know, create an environment by putting things away. We're teaching them what other people need. And so when we can get into this mode of like, I'm kind of more your coach or your teacher, you know, then I think that's such a, I love that, that definition of the word discipline, like the disciple, the idea of somebody to follow, right? Like, so you're following a teacher. I think that makes more sense. So, so with kids with special needs, we're just basically like accommodating their needs and, and, and learning their language more or less, right? Like, we're just trying to see how can we meet up with you? Like, where is that connection place? Absolutely. It's helping them feel successful. What do we need to do to support them? What accommodations do we need to put in their environment so that they feel successful? We all want to feel successful. And when a child feels successful, they will feel so good. And that will just spread into their home life that will um, impact their relationships, that will impact their studies, their ability to focus, their ability to attend, their ability to take care of themselves. It's huge. And the other thing, it's not only will they feel supported, but they will also understand that relationship with you, that you're not this disciplinarian wagging your finger, telling them what to do, that you control. They are part of that process. So we're giving them a sense of autonomy. And when we feel autonomous, like this is the whole idea with occupational therapies, we're wanting to enhance independence. We want people to be as independent as possible. And so helping our child feel successful, you know, providing them with the steps to reach their goals and very, you know, actionable steps that will lead to success. And when kids feel good, they do good. I love that. That's also Ross Green. When kids feel good, they do good. When kids feel good, they do good. That's great. I love that. So what about like a child with ADHD? What is, what are some of the accommodations and the ways that we could help kids with ADHD feel successful? Uh-oh. Absolutely. Oh, this is a good one because right now I um, I'm hearing a lot of uh, challenges from parents right now. Kids that in, are inattentive, unfocused, unmotivated, you know, um, really squirrely and wiggly uh, during learning time, and not listening or seemingly not listening. And oftentimes it goes undiagnosed, but kiddos with ADHD, they are the ones who are labeled lazy, the ones who are labeled, um, you know, a problem, ones that are labeled, um, you know, silly, because oftentimes humor is used as a coping mechanism. Um, They have all these labels, but it's just that they're misunderstood. And again, when we help the child setting their environment up for success, then they will do better. And when we are setting them up in an environment with lots of distractions, now specifically kiddos with ADHD, there's a lot of distractions, a lot of noise in the environment, a lot of smells in the environment. If there um, is, uh, you know, a lot of words being used and the child isn't following along because it's just overwhelming, then that child will shut off. That child is not capable of learning at that time. And so very much it begins with having a routine. When it's predictable and the child knows what comes next, that will give them a sense of control. When they have a sense of control over their environment, they're more able to follow that routine. And so when they follow a very simple visual schedule for the younger ones, but as they get older, you can continue with the schedule, but you can have it written or pair it with pictures for easier understanding. But 
for those kiddos, you want to really consider setting up a schedule, have your child sit down with you together, come up with a schedule that works and then stick with it. And I even recommend that parents don't really veer off that schedule on the weekends, Hmm. bedtime. um, I encourage that to stay the same. And um, again, I also encourage wake up time, stay the same because what happens is our kiddos with ADHD, they're very sensitive to change and that can completely set them off and frankly, ruin their day. And so when there is that consistency, they know it, they follow it. There is a greater feeling of success because the tasks are getting completed. So having a schedule that's in a visible place that you can refer to. So again, it like takes the onus off of you as the disciplinary. And I told you to start your homework. You can simply go to the schedule. Oh, what time is it? It's reading time. Okay. Do you need help getting that set up? And then just making sure that the environment is also um, not stimulating. We want to think about external stimuli because that tends to be very distracting for kiddos with ADHD. So again, putting on that detective lens, we want to look at the environment. How can we help the environment? How can we help the child with the environment? And so there's all these accommodations that we can provide and what I provide with my students. So I'm hearing like simplifying, like less is more, you know, we don't want a ton of stuff. I imagine there could be you know, and then so that we can have this predictable routine. That's really great. So just really like kind of meeting those, those kids needs. Now, this is all very demanding on the parents, right? We're like, A, they're doing a million things, working, go, you know, and, and, and doing all the things that we are doing. And then we have to do this detective work and understand our child. Maybe we're going to specialists, we're going to an occupational therapist, whatever we're doing. Um, any, as we kind of just wrap this up, any final words for, for parents of kids with special needs or, 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 dif- or differences, what, what are your words of, of wisdom for them? Oh, again, be easy and gentle and kind to yourself. It's not easy. And especially for parents with kids with special needs, it is certainly not easy. These children have their special gifts. These children are going to be future leaders. When we are the conduit to their learning, to their understanding, to their growth, to their development, we are part of this magic. And we can be part of that development where we're creating adults that are resilient, that are responsible. That's what we want. And so in order to do that, we need support. Make sure that you have support, whether that is with a best friend, um, a teacher, a church, a community around you, wherever, make sure that you have surrounded yourself with people that get you, that get the situation. Maybe that's a support group. There are so many Facebook groups right now that offer these this type of support. And it's a great opportunity, especially now during COVID, that you can still get the support without seeing people in person. But my biggest recommendation is making sure that you get the support that you need, because that is key. We could put all these strategies, we could put in all these tips and education, but it's not going to stick unless we are taking care of ourselves and we take care of ourselves by getting the support that we need. Yeah, greater challenge requires greater resources, and um, and so I, you know, I would also say like it's probably really intense too. Like you're you're raising a child with special needs, like 
take breaks. Like that support, part of that support should be, I get a little time away from you. I go away for the afternoon. I go away for an overnight and I have some time where I'm not mom, I'm not this role and I'm just myself. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. Absolutely. We are all given that. That is a human right that we should take breaks. We need breaks. And especially parents and especially parents with special needs kiddos, it is so important to take that extra time. Have a babysitter come over, have family come over and help you out, get the help that you need so that you can take a break and take care because then you'll come back refreshed and ready to reconnect and bond and have fun. Absolutely. I love this. Well, Ashley, it's been so nice to talk to you and I really appreciate you sharing your expertise and your wisdom with us. Um, Where can people find out more about the work you're doing? Sure. I am at joyfulmamamentor.com. So that's www.joyfulmamamentor.com. And I'm also on Facebook. I have a lovely private Facebook group, also Joyful Mama Mentor. And that is where I help parents and be able to understand their kids' behaviors and give tips and strategies where I specialize in working with kiddos um, with special needs as well. Thank you so much from one mama mentor to another. (laughs) Fabulous. Thanks for coming on. Thank you, Hunter. I love how Ashley says that the first step to getting your child to do something should be our self-regulation. I could not agree more. Yes, yes. So that's all the work that we do in the Mindful Parenting Clear method, that we do that inner work to help us calm our reactivity. You know, it's interesting because we do work with communication skills and, you know, you learn them and stuff, but kids have these incredible BS meters. It's really like if you're just trying to learn what to say and how to respond without doing that inner work, it tends not to work. The whole like kind of just say this method is a little bit dangerous in that way because we learn like, oh, I should respond this way. And then, you know, we don't use all those many tools that we have in the membership to like calm our reactivity, understand and heal our triggers, you know, cultivate self-compassion, create all these habits, these pathways for learning to take care of difficult emotions. And then it becomes this like surface thing. And then A, we can't even remember it when, how that nice way to respond when our stress response is triggered. We can't even remember what to say because our brain is hijacked. And B, if you kind of like respond in this certain way, your kind of brain overrides your body and you force yourself to respond in this way, you know, you're you're not actually regulating your emotions. Your kids see right through that and it tends not to work because there's this like huge disconnect between what your words are saying and what your body is feeling and your kids can feel that so like they have these incredible bs meters so important so anyway if you want to dive into that work there are two ways i can help you right away with that self-regulation work and the communication work is you can get your copy of raising good humans over 1300 reviews on amazon you know get that copy audiobook form or if you know you're ready to dive deeper you want real alive coaching you want some support you want to have the community you want to be able to have someone to ask questions with for your whole lifetime all that stuff get on the mindful parenting member 
membership wait list. You know, I only offered lifetime memberships for a reason because we're doing like deep lasting changes. It's not like the superficial quick fix or you're like six weeks and you're done. It's like these, these are lessons we come back to again and again. So I end up helping people like through a certain issue when your child's nine and a different issue when your child's 12. It's really, really fascinating to watch parents grow and, and, and apply the tools in all these different situations that arise. But anyway, if you're interested and you just want to have more information, get on the waitlist. I'll send you some information about it. And you can do that at mindfulparentingcourse.com. That's at mindfulparentingcourse.com. I just hope this has been helpful for you today. I hope this episode, you know, help us become more thoughtful, more empathetic. If you think you have some friends, it's going to help share it with them. And I hope that, you know, this has, has watered your good seeds today. And it certainly did mine this conversation. And I'm so grateful and appreciative. And I'm so grateful and appreciative of you being here listening. Thank you. I wish you a beautiful week. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing your time with me and listening. And I cannot wait to connect with you again. Namaste. They definitely do it. It's really helpful. It will change your relationship with your kids for the better. It will help you communicate better. And just, I'd say communicate better as a person, as a wife, as a spouse. It's been really a positive influence in our lives. So definitely do it. I'd say definitely do it. It's so worth it. The money really is inconsequential when you get so much benefit from being a better parent to your children and feeling like you're connecting more with them and not feeling like you're yelling all the time or you're like, why isn't things working? I would say definitely do it. It's so, so worth it. It'll change you. No matter what age someone's child is, it's a great opportunity for personal growth and it's a great investment in someone's family. I'm very thankful I have this. You can continue in your old habits that aren't working or you can learn some new tools and gain some perspective to shift everything in your parenting. Are you frustrated by parenting? Do you listen to the experts and try all the tips and strategies, but you're just not seeing the results that you want? Or are you lost as to where to start? Does it all seem so overwhelming with too much to learn? Are you yearning for a community of people who get it? who also don't want to threaten and punish to create cooperation? Hi, I'm Hunter Clark-Fields, and if you answered yes to any of these questions, I want you to seriously consider the Mindful Parenting membership. You'll be joining hundreds of members who have discovered the path of mindful parenting and now have confidence and clarity in their parenting. This isn't just another parenting class. This is an opportunity to really discover your unique, lasting relationship, with your children, but with yourself. It will translate into lasting, connected relationships, not only with your children, but your partner too. Let me change your life. Go to mindfulparentingcourse.com to add your name to the waitlist, so you will be the first to be notified when I open the membership for enrollment. I look forward to seeing you on the inside. mindfulparentingcourse.com. Hello, you sentient ball of stardust. My name is Casey Davis. I'm a therapist and I'm an author of the book, How to Keep House While Drowning, where I talk about ways to make it a little bit easier to take care of yourself when you're overwhelmed, stressed, 
have mental health issues, physical health issues, or maybe you're just in a hard season of life. Maybe you're looking for a place that you can come and listen to some practical advice. This is a podcast for all of the self-help rejects. We're going to talk about skills for survival and self-kindness. And I'm going to leave the pop psychology at the door. I promise not to tell you to meditate or to journal. We're just going to give you some really insightful conversations with hopefully some practical advice. So I don't believe you need to pick yourself up by the bootstraps. I don't want you to just try harder, and I don't believe that laziness exists. So join me over on Struggle Care, where we can find compassionate solutions that help us function a little bit better.